This is CD number three of the messages titled Five Steps to Productive Prayer, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, President of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. You say, is that the way God does it? I don't know. Ask the children of Israel. They wandered around, got their wooden leg in a knot hole, and walked in a circle for 40 years in the desert. God kept saying, let's try that again. Go around again. Didn't learn. Go around again. Didn't learn. Go around again. Let's just try. You know, a lot of people run around with their wooden leg in a knot hole, wondering why they're not getting anywhere spiritually, because they're not operating by biblical principles. And if you don't operate by God's principles, you are duty-bound to fail. God can't allow you to succeed if you operate contrary to his word. It'd be a denial of his holiness and his righteousness. Concerning your health. A lot of people have real problems with their health. Sometimes they get bitter toward God, and you can't do that. But first of all, we have to go back and realize that somewhere along the line, we probably violated health principles. Our bodies are wonderfully and fearfully made. And I want to tell you, I've seen a lot of, quote, spirit-filled Christians that will get up in the morning and boil coffee until it stands up by itself and the spoon melts in the cup. They'll take that in a piece of white bread with butter all over the top of it, and they'll shove it in their mouth, and they'll jump up and go full steam all morning, and then they'll go into a restaurant and get some, some fries with a deep-fat fried chicken sandwich with a bunch of mayonnaise on it, and they'll stuff that in their mouth, and then they'll go all afternoon, and they'll come home, have a big chunk of meat, and maybe some vegetables, and then probably some cake or pie and ice cream after that. And before they go to bed, they have some popcorn, and they say, after a while, you know, I really don't feel too good. And you do the same thing to their car and then shoot you. If you put sugar in their, uh, under their spark plugs and poured a little bit of water in their gas tank and, and uh, took something and, and, and jammed up their carburetor, they'd shoot you because you kn- they know the car isn't going to run if you keep doing that. The only difference between your car and your body is God made you so wonderfully that if you don't get all the protein and you don't get all the calcium that you're supposed to get for that day, ladies, you wonder why women get softening of the bones? When you don't get enough calcium in your body every day, your body is so wonderfully made, it starts taking calcium out of your bones to keep operating. It'll keep running. It goes into starvation mode. It starts drawing those minerals out of your body from all over. And after quite a few years, oh, I ache, I hurt, I, oh, man, I feel terrible. That may be because of eating. It could also be because of bitterness or anger or resentment. Or, hey, I know people who have ended up with arthritis and all gnarled up because of hatred or unforgiveness in their lives. You see, it isn't God that's doing it. It isn't the devil that's doing it. We've sown to the flesh. We're reaping corruption. We've missed biblical principles of good nutrition. I try to be fairly careful in what I eat, but there's times that I go overboard, and afterwards, I've oh, got to get back here. Well, you see, I don't really believe that I can just eat anything I want to and not sooner or later have to pay a price for it. If I had the discipline, I would love to just get on nothing but a, a, a vegetable and fruit juice diet for about two weeks and just cleanse my body. But I'm not disciplined enough to do that when there's other food around a lot of times and when I'm having to help prepare food for others and, and so forth. It's just difficult, but I know it would help me tremendously if I do that. But you see, a lot of times when things don't work out and we start having physical problems, our first tendency is, isn't God aware we? Yes, God knows exactly what's going on. But he also knows that we cannot continuously violate health principles or laws and not have physical problems. I'm not saying that every person that has sickness is because of something that they have done personally. They may have inherited 
uh, a condition when, when, before they were ever born. I mean, Jeff couldn't do anything about his diabetes when he got it, but it, it, it came. But he tried to eat as best he could for as long as he possibly could, but the diabetes had already set in and was doing his damage. But if you and I have a fair measure of health, we need to do everything we can to eat. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. And if all we've been used to, and I'll let me tell you, when I, before I became a Christian, all I knew was potatoes and gravy and meat. Potatoes and gravy, and once the vegetable maybe on the side, but I would bury everything in gravy. Just eat gravy like crazy. Well, now very seldom do I eat gravy. It's a real extra treat if I have some gravy. Because I know that that stuff is not good for you. It's not good for girth control. And for long, it's just going to all over out here. And uh, it's a law. What you sow, you reap. We have to be very, very careful. We're told we should eat at least five vegetables and fruits every day. Every single day. The fresher, the better. Not cooked to death, but even fresh vegetables. I try to have fresh fruit on my cereal and, and uh, raisins on my cereal. Every morning I have cereal. And if I don't have that, I, I try to have something else that's nutritious. Why? Because I realize that what I sow now, I'm going to reap in the days ahead. And I still have aches and I still have pains. But I think, boy, if I weren't doing what I'm doing, where would I be? So again, casting our care. But in doing so, once you do everything you possibly do, trust the Lord for the rest of it. And by the way, exercise. I know of a man in Minnesota who had become so crippled up. He was a, he was a uh, uh, veterinarian. He became so crippled up that he could no longer get up and down out of his chin without help. And he would walk like this through his house. And that man was in his early 50s. He could hardly move his arms. And somebody came to him and said, Look, you get out of that chair, and I'm going to walk with you. We're going to walk up and down the street. He's I hurt all over his. I don't care. Get out of that chair. Let's go walking. He got out of the chair, and he could hardly get down the steps on the sidewalk, and he walked to the edge of the yard, and he said, I can't go any further. He brought him back. He said, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Got him out to the edge of the yard again, brought him back the next day. He said, we're going to the corner the next day. He went all the way down to the corner, and he was just, could hardly breathe. He was just hurting all over. He said, we're going to get this worked out. He says, you have got to get on your feet. That guy was sitting in the chair all day long, just aching and hurting. He said, get out and walk. When I met the guy, he had been running cross country races because he got out and started exercising and eating right and that pain began to leave his body he got more limber he started exercising and stretching more and more and more but here he was by this time he was about 60 or 61 years old still running cross country races and he had come close to hitting some records and you see he could have sat in that chair all the rest of his life and said oh God just must hate me here I am I'm just all bound up but no, somebody loved him enough to get out and exercise. God made your body. It's going to hurt when you do it. And how many of you know if you want to do something you haven't done normally, you hurt all over? But if you go do it again and do it again and do it again, it doesn't hurt anymore. And then you go do something else. You go, oh, my goodness, I hurt somewhere else. That's because those muscles, if they don't get used, they begin to bind up and get, I don't know, stiff, sore, won't move. And before long, you'll get into your joints. Now, I'm, I'm saying all these things. God has has given us bodies that we'll use common sense. We don't have to complain many, many times because if we'll do something about it, we'll, do, we'll feel better. Now, have I quit preaching going to Medlin here? Casting all your care on him concerning your death. Concerning, now everybody's shaking their watches. They think I'm preaching too long. <laughs> Bless the Lord. <laughs>
Cast all your care upon the Lord concerning your debts. We've got people in this church right now that can tell you that once they start applying biblical principles, their financial situation is turned around. You cannot, just because you're a Christian, go out and indiscriminately spend money, sporadically, spasmodically, and say, well, by faith, I'll believe God will bring in the extra money next week. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Some people say, well, I can't live on a budget. <laughs> you're not living off of a budget. You know what a budget is? It says this is how much money you've got to spend, so you can't spend any more than that. Well, I don't want that. I want to spend more than I've got. Yeah, but you can't. That's a death sentence. I'll tell you, you'll hit the wall one of these days. You know, I literally heard of a preacher's wife that thanked God in a Bible study one night that they were finally able to get another credit card so she could refinance the credit cards that were to the hill and put all the money on a new credit card and give her another 30 days to breathe. Thank God for another credit card. I thought, give me a break. And then they wonder why they have to worry and worry. Where you violate biblical principles of finance and you're in trouble. You obey biblical principles of finance. You may have a struggle. You may have to grit your teeth, but you'll come out. You'll come out. God will honor you for it. Some of you say, well, my greatest care is my wife or my husband. I'm really having a hard time with this. Well, let me just tell you, you put Jesus Christ first in your life and tell him you're willing to change any way he wants you to change. You see, the first problem is they say, why doesn't she change? Why doesn't he change? God doesn't, isn't as nearly as interested in them changing as he is in you changing, me changing. And I've had people say, once they start changing, they say, oh, I can't believe how much better my wife or my husband treats me now. I mean, we can have a totally different relationship. And I say, well, surprise, what do you know? When you begin to let God change your life and come into biblical order, According to biblical principles, God says when you try to please him, he'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. And that's why I tell people, husbands and wives, that I say, uh, can you love your wife? They say, no. I said, well, the scripture says love your wife. Well, I just can't. Well, the scripture says love your neighbor. Treat her like a neighbor. Can't do that. And I said, well, the Bible says love your enemy. You can't get much further than that. If she, you feel she's your enemy, you still have to love her. Even as God for Christ's sake have loved you. And when I see husbands and wives violating the biblical principles by having disregard and disrespect in speaking to one another, in anger, in argumentative style, I want, you to, I want to tell you something. You're opening your whole family to the direct attack of the enemy. First of all, you're a liar when you do that. You stood before God and witnesses and said, I will love, honor, and cherish. I will obey. I will submit. I will do all this. You've lied if you fail to do that now. You didn't lie to man, just a man. You lied to God. And he says, when you do that, he'll destroy the work of your hands. So number one, whenever you're dealing with your husband or your wife, it must always be from a position of high respect and high regard. You say, I don't have much respect for my partner. Well, let me ask you, who chose them? It speaks something about your ability to make decisions. So you need to go back and say, even if I made a bad decision, I'm going to make something good come out of this because I'm going to be everything God wants me to be as a husband or a wife. And I'm going to love and honor and cherish them. I'm going to hold them in high esteem. I'm going to put high trust in them. I'm going to begin to, to depend on them. I'm going to begin to show respect to them. And you'll be amazed what will happen. Then you can cast your problems upon the Lord. You'll find your problems will disappear very quickly. And may I speak to this while we're talking about it? If you're not married, married life is not an end of all. If you don't believe me, talk to some married people. 
But there's so much emphasis today. I've had people say, are you telling me that God expects me to be single my whole life? I said, well, no, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that the Word of God says that, that uh, in many cases it's even better to be single because you only have to serve the Lord and you don't have to worry about your partner. You can just serve whatever the Lord wants you to do. You can do it. You see, it's very, very difficult when we've lived to do our own thing. When you get married, all of a sudden God says, now you don't do anything on your own. You do things as a couple. You make no decisions alone. You make decisions as a couple. Why? How can one make a half and a half? I mean, one half make a decision. You're still one in God's sight. You both make a decision. When you're single, if God says go to the West Coast, if you don't have to go to the bank and ask them for permission to go out of town, you can jump on a plane fly to the West Coast. Do whatever God wants. Go wherever he wants you to go. Do whatever he wants you to do. Paul says in many cases you're better off. But if you can't stand not to be married, I mean, if it's absolutely impossible for you to be single, and you're going to burn if you don't get married, well, then go ahead and think about being married. But he says, really, you're better off not to. And I don't think that's emphasized enough. Today, if somebody comes to a certain age and they're not married, they begin to think, is there something funny about them? Is there something different? Well, you know, there might be a problem here, you know. That's, that's tragic. Bless God. I, I believe the Lord can use single people as much as married people, and many times more. You have no idea how many single missionaries there are on the mission field today. You know why? Because they didn't have to ask someone else for permission to go to the mission field. And I know of couples that were going to go to the mission field, and one of them decided not to, and the other one had to stay home. And they've been defeated all their life. And after 30-some years of marriage, to have that one partner say, I have to admit to you, I, I believe and I miss God best by marrying this person. Think of 30-some years knowing I miss God's best. I've got to make the best of this now. I miss God's best. There can be a tremendous fulfillment in singleness. And let me say this. Young people, are you listening? Single young people, are you listening to me? If you ever expect to get married so that somebody else can make you happy, you're headed for disaster. If you are not happy by yourself, you will not be happy getting married. You have to be satisfied with yourself. You have to be happy being by yourself and for who you are and what you are alone before you're even ready to get married. Because if you don't, you bring all the garbage into your marriage and then it causes more problems. So it isn't a case of, God, send me a partner, but Lord, I want your perfect will. If it's mission field, if it's home, if it's marriage, if it's singleness, whatever it is, I cast that on you and I ask you to show me. Now the Lord's will, Lord willing, I'm going to... Uh, next Wednesday, get into the rest of it. For he careth for you. He careth for you. And I am following an outline, by the way. Can you bow your heads in prayer? For some reason, I feel like <clears throat> I may have come close to some problem areas tonight. I may have just touched on one or two little areas that Spirit of God wants to talk to you about. And the Bible says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And I ask you while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, nobody else has to know what it is, but you know exactly what God talked to you about tonight as I shared these truths with you. I'm trying to be very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to say those things that He wants me to say. 
And if he has to say them, he must have a reason for me to say them, either for you to hear it or to teach it to someone else or because you need it. May I ask you right now, just be honest enough with God. I mean, you can't hide anything from the Lord. If there's a wrong attitude, wrong spirit, wrong relationship, violation of biblical principles, confess it to him right now. Just be honest with him. Lord, I missed it here. I just learned something tonight I didn't understand before. I see something like I haven't seen it before. And I ask you to wash me with the blood of Jesus and forgive me and cleanse me from this. And I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Take charge of that area in my life, whatever area that he spoke to you about tonight. And by faith, I'm believing that you're not only forgiving me, but you're going to deliver me. You're going to change me. You're going to make me to be what you want me to be. You know, the trouble is, God is so merciful and so gracious to us, He'll let us go on and go on and go on and go on in our disobedience and our rebellion and our stubbornness. And then we hit the wall and we wonder, well, why did it happen now? God is so patient with us, but He's saying that we'll confess, we'll judge ourselves, and we won't have to be judged. Just talk to the Lord right now. Get honest with him, open your heart to him, and ask him to take all those areas away. If it's compromise, if you're associating with people you know you shouldn't be associating with, if you're taking in, absorbing things you ought not to be absorbing, in the computer world they say garbage in, garbage out, and they tell you it works in the mind too. If you listen to the things of the world, the ways of the world, the music of the world, the thoughts of the world, the jokes of the world, garbage is going to come out. It's going to come out. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be a father to you. Just confess it to the Lord. How many say, Pastor, the Lord spoke in my heart tonight, and I believe I've settled something with him on in, in my heart. You just lift your hand, let me pray. Pray with me. Lord spoke to my heart tonight. Yes, God bless you. Lord spoke to my heart tonight, and I, I, I've asked him to deal with this area of my life. Yes, praise the Lord. Anyone else? Yes. Praise God. He said, you hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you'll be filled. Anyone else? The Lord spoke to your heart tonight. Yes, God bless you. You have to hunger and thirst. You have to draw nigh to him, and he'll draw nigh to you. Yes, God bless you. I see that. Anyone else? Are you saying that that mistake that was made in the hospital was God? All things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Jeffrey was probably relieved of some horrible agony for months or maybe a couple more years. And the Lord must have known that. But thank God I don't look at what he lost, I, what we lost, I look at what he gained. And know that in the midst of that, God cares for that. If you never learn anything else, learn that God cares for you. And if we really believe this, when the trials and tests come, we don't have to be fretful. We don't have to worry. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to be full of fear and despair. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And when we do allow fear and doubt and unbelief come in, that and ingratitude for the things that happen in our life, 
uh, it becomes a denial of the fact that he cares for us. If something happens to you and me and we get angry, all of a sudden we're denying what God has said is true, that he cares for us. If we begin to worry about our circumstances around us, we're denying that he cares for us. And again, I use the example. If your child came to you and said, I went down the street and asked my neighbor for a meal because I didn't know you were going to have supper tonight, you'd be angry. You'd say, what are you talking about? You've had supper here every night, your whole life. Well, I know, but I just this time I wasn't sure we would or not. You'd get angry. And how many times do God's children, when things don't work out the way they think it should, they begin to get worried or angry or act in, with ingratitude toward God and actually denying what God says that that was that he cares for us. And God is all-knowing. God knows your every weakness. He knows your every strength. There's no surprises as far as God is concerned. That's why in Psalm 37, 3, he says, and you can write these verses down if you'd like to look at them later because I don't want to carry this on too long, but I have just several verses here. Psalm 37, 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verily thou shalt be fed. First Samuel two nine says he will keep the feet of his saints. First Samuel two nine. Second Chronicles sixteen nine. I've got to turn to that one because I didn't write it all down. Second Chronicles sixteen nine. Wonderful verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have war. But he says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro upon the face of the earth, seeking how he can bless his children, those that love him. Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow thee all the days of thy life, and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow thee all the days of my life. Some of you that weren't here when I preached on that chapter, I'll just remind you that David was a, was a shepherd boy, and he remembered that when he was a shepherd, he had two dogs that always followed. He, he led the sheep, and the dogs would go along behind to make sure that a wolf or, a, or a, some other animal didn't come out and attack the sheep from the back. And so he just named those two dogs back there, goodness and mercy. He said, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You don't have to look around behind you when you're walking with the Lord. You don't have to keep looking back because God's got goodness and mercy back there making sure you don't get attacked from the, the backside. And yeah, that's why you keep your eyes on the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look back. Put your trust in the Lord. And then Psalm 33, 18. Psalm 33:18. Didn't get that one written down completely either. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Can't get much better than that, can you? He says he'll even keep us in the famine. Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. How many? All their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart or a shattered heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit or a bruised spirit. Many, many, now this is for those faith claimers, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them will be broken. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. 
None of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Psalm 37, beginning with verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall or stumble, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David said, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and keep his way, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a bay tree, green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. We've been talking about the five steps for productive prayer. And I know there's a lot of prayer that isn't very productive if it's not in faith. And... Uh, uh, if we do it while we are holding resentment or bitterness, or if we mistreat our partner, our mate, uh, God says your prayers are cut off. We have to be loving and kind and, and gentle with them. And uh, we have to repent, not just to God, we have to repent with, to our partner and go back and say, will you please forgive me? I, that was wrong of me, and I, I ask for your forgiveness. And then we can go, because the Lord says, whenever you come to the altar, first of all, go and make things straight, and then come back to the altar. Leave your gift at the altar and come back to the altar. And uh, we live in a day and age where a lot of times when people don't realize, they just think, well, that's over with. I don't have to say anything about it. No, God wants us to repent when we do something that's wrong. He wants us to go back and repent. Now, this isn't even in my notes. I'm not going to charge you extra for this. But uh, it's not enough for us to go and tell God, God, I was sharp with this person or that person. It's not enough for us to say, God, I wasn't kind to that person. We need to go back to them and say, will you please forgive me? That was wrong in my part, and God the Holy Spirit has, has convicted me of that. And I want to ask your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And wait for an answer. If they say no, say, well, I, I, I really am sorry, and turn around and walk away. Then it's on their shoulders. Then it's left with them. Because they have to forgive them. If they don't forgive, God does single-column bookkeeping for you all the time. Remember that. It's not what people say to you or do to you, but it's how you respond to them when they do it. So, uh, very important if we're going to be talking about prayer. We said, first of all, whatever prayer, whatever we pray for should deeply in, in, uh, deeply and concern us deeply concern us and interest us uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much secondly we feel must totally we must feel totally unable to accomplish what we desire we talked about in that aspect of the realize that we're totally dependent upon God now I don't want to get into it in detail again, but just simply tell you, the moment you and I think we're, we have, we're fairly self-confident and self-capable, uh, we have to realize that every breath we draw is by the grace of God. I mean, it would be just as easy for you and me to be killed in an accident as anyone else out there is getting killed in an accident. It would be just as easy for us to lose our health 
for us to lose our job, for everything to fall apart on us too. But all the things, all the good and perfect things come down from our Heavenly Father. And uh, we must realize when we come to Him, Lord, we can't do anything without Your blessing. How many of you realize that if you, if God wanted to, He could just put a little barrier right here in front of you, and no matter what you tried, it would not work? You know, He can cut, cut your water off. Did you know that? He can put a hedge of thorns around you. He can put walls around you. You know, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were, were obedient, God made all the rest of the nations afraid of them. And when they started disobeying, the nations got brave and came in and conquered them over and over again. And God can put a wall around you and me. But we also realize that there's no one else that can put a wall around us. And if we're right with God and we call upon Him, there isn't anything but what God will take care of it. We have to believe that God's interested and concerned about us. And that's what we've been speaking on, and I've been t teaching on First uh, Peter 5, 6, and 7. And we're down to the... Uh, the second part of it, it says, first of all, casting all your care upon him. And now we're down to where it's, for he careth for you. For he careth for you. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That, that word careth in the Greek is mele, which means supervising, or to look after, or to oversee. It also means fostering, or nurturing, or nourishing, to fondly care for. It means to have a loving interest. Now, it's interesting, these words that, that can come from that one word where it says, He careth for you. It means He has a loving interest like a father to his child, not like a general to his soldiers, but like a father to his children. As the Father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them, the Scripture says, that fear him. And it says he cares for you. He literally pities us. He tries to protect us and take care of us just like a father would. And uh, God is not indifferent to our concern. He created us, first of all, so by that very fact that he created us, he has a tremendous interest in us. The fact that he created everything and provided everything for us while we were here on earth is evidence that he does care for us. The fact that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us should tell us that he cares for us. I've had people say, I don't know that God really loves me or if he's interested in me at all. I said, well, then you, you don't know the word at all, do you? What do you mean? Well, I said, if you say that God doesn't care for you, you're calling him a liar when he said he so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins. Yes, but such and such isn't working out. That doesn't mean God doesn't care for you. Things aren't going the way I thought they would go. That doesn't mean God doesn't care for you. I can give you example after example out of the Word of God where things went horribly and in the midst of it God was caring for people. Then he redeemed us to himself with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells me he cleansed us, washed us in his precious blood, and, and the Holy Spirit now is conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he now promises to lead us and never leave us and never forsake us. And I want to emphasize that to you. God, in the midst of whatever you're in the midst of right now, loves you right where you are, and he cares for you right where you are. And as you're trying to walk through every day and ask him for discernment and guidance and direction, there may be things that will fly up in your face, but nothing can harm you, nothing can destroy you, because God says he's going to see to it that you're taken care of when you walk in obedience to his word. Everything is contingent upon walking in obedience before the Lord. The promises of God where it says, for he careth for you, the Weymouth translation says it matters to God about you. And you don't have to beg God, you don't have to coerce him, you don't try to, have to, have to try to force him to do something to help you. 
and to support you because he's all he already does love you. He does care for you. And I wish I could just somehow plant that in the heart of some people that go around just really feeling like like a penny waiting for change and that nobody has any interest in them whatsoever and that the whole world is against them. God is not against you. You say, but you don't know my circumstances. Well, let me tell you something. While the Egyptian, while the, the Hebrew children were in Egypt in bondage and were being beaten and straw and having to make their bricks and, and go gather their own straw and all the persecution they had, God cared for them even during that time. God was trying to purify things in their life. He was trying to purify their character, cause them to come to the place where they would really begin to depend upon him. You know, about the time you and I get self-sufficient, God may allow things to come into our lives to take away that self-sufficiency. And may I just emphasize this again? If you truly have committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you start leaning on something else, God will remove that from you. If you start leaning on someone else, God will move that, remove that person. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He said, I want you to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. We don't look to others for direction in our path. We don't look to others as becoming our source and our provision. That's why I keep telling you, don't make your job or your career your source. God has to be your source. Put him first in every area of your life, and then say, Lord, I want to do this for your glory. I want to do it for your honor. I want to do it in a way that's pleasing to you, and I want to walk uprightly before you. You guide and direct my steps. You open the doors. You close the doors, because you really know that he cares for you. I wonder how much the children of Israel thought God cared for them when the Egyptians came after them <clears throat> as they're heading for the Red Sea. All you hear as, as you read there in, in Genesis, uh, in Exodus, uh, concerning their going into the, uh, going toward the Red, the, uh, Red Sea, is they were screaming and hollering, "Now we're going to die out here in the wilderness! Oh, God's forsaken us completely!" And all the time they were complaining and murmuring, God was still taking care of them in the midst of their grumbling and their murmuring. He already had a plan for them. He put them between two mountains so the Egyptians couldn't come from the side; they had to come just directly from the back. And he had to get them all together so he let them come right up to the sea. And as the Egyptians were coming, what did he do? He took the bolts off the wheels of the chariot. They went down in the sand and couldn't make it. Then he put darkness between them. And on the one side of the cloud, there was darkness to the Egyptians. On the other side, it was light to the children of Israel so they could keep moving. And the Egyptians were bogged down in the, in the uh, uh, desert, and they couldn't move, and they couldn't see each other. couldn't see their hand in front of their face. God made it so dark. And here they were up there complaining, We shouldn't have left. We, shouldn't. we could have died. and could have lived in Egypt. Now we're going to die out here in the wilderness. And but in the midst of their hollering, God still loved them. And you say, how can he do it? I don't know. How does he put up with us? But he still cares for us. Now, I don't know where you are tonight, but I want to tell you, you may have messed up royally, and you may have done a lot of things that you just really wish your knee would bend the other way so you could more easily kick yourself where you need to be kicked. But in the midst of all those errors, God still loves you and is trying to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, even though it doesn't seem like anything's working right. While they were out there complaining and murmuring, for 40 years God never dropped one meal off from them. They ate every single day. He provided them with water. He provided them with food. He took care of their clothes. Everything was taken care of. And he said, I did that to teach them how to trust me completely. For 40 years he did that. And they still didn't trust him when they got into the lane. But while they are out there murmuring and complaining, God still cared for them. Can you imagine the feeling that Daniel had as he was falling from the the uh, trap door down into the lion's den. Yeah, God, where are you? All I tried to do, Lord, was be, be obedient to you and pleasing to you. All I tried to do was just to pray like I've always prayed. And they changed the laws. I didn't change. They changed the laws. Now I'm guilty. 
by the time he hit the bottom of the, the cage, I, can you just imagine the feelings must have come on him when he saw all these lions that they didn't feed them normally, just once in a while they'd throw them some food, and God gave them all a, bad case, a good case of lockjaw. They came over and laid down, and Daniel laid his head on them and snuggled up real close and slept overnight. God showed he cared for him, but you know, when he was falling, I wonder what Daniel was thinking. Does God really see where I am? And while you're falling, you have to realize that God sees where you are, and he still loves you. In the midst of whatever the toughest, hardest circumstances might be, when you just seem like the whole world is unfair and nothing's working out right, God loves you and he cares for you. Casting all your care on him, because he does. He really does care for you. How would you like to have been John the Baptist in the cell when they came with the sword or with the axe to chop off his head? Even though he was beheaded, God still loved him and cared for him. He said he was the greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. You say, yeah, but he got his head cut off. Absent from the body to be present with the Lord. We put an awful lot of stock in death, don't we? Oh, man, I'm afraid of death. I don't want... I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting so old and my outlook on life is totally different. But I am looking forward so much to the day when the Lord calls me into his presence and there's no more taxes and no more bills and no more problems and no more headaches. And oh, Bless God, it'll be a wonderful thing as far as I'm concerned. You say, well, yes, so how about all your loved ones? Yes, I understand that. One of these days when they, when they get there, we'll never be separated again. This is only testing time. Sometimes we get up and say the word like we're supposed to preach the word and they do everything but throw stones at us. You ever gotten a little picture of what Stephen must have felt like? Stephen was trying to be obedient and the demons in those that crowd around him could not stand it when he talked about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. What a glorious thing it was to know that Stephen stood there while the stones were hitting him and raised up his hands and said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, Father. And Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father with his arms outstretched like, come on home, buddy. Come on home, son. You say, you think God really cared for him while he was being stoned to death? Fear not him that can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Man can't do anything to you that will be of eternal value whatsoever. They can't harm you in any way that's going to affect your eternal uh, position in Jesus Christ. If they... They cut your head off, glory to God, you're with the Lord. If they stone you to death, glory to God, you're with the Lord. You see, that's a weird outlook. No, it's a biblical outlook. How many of you think you're going to live forever here on earth anyway with, a, with a, this human body? I don't know of anybody that's, that's made it through yet. Do you? I heard the other day someone was 108 or 109 years of age. You know, I don't really. You know, <laughs> I don't envy them a bit. You wonder what the last 20 years was like. Probably, uh, get up in the morning and hardly move, but... Glory to God, be out of, this, out of this prison that we're in, this body. Be with the Lord. No more pain, no more sorrow. No, but while we're in it, God cares for us, even as he did with Stephen, Stephen. And when Peter was martyred upside down, Jesus Christ was there, and he cared for him. I just want to emphasize to you tonight, when people tell you that, ask you if God loves you, don't look at your circumstances. Look at your relationship. Your circumstances have nothing to do with it. If they do, then you're walking in the flesh. If you're walking in the spirit, circumstances have nothing to do with it whatsoever. God cares for you exactly where you are. And when your loved ones are suffering, 
When I used to look at my wife with her cancer and my son with his diabetes, the flesh many times would shudder. And then I had to say, God loves us. God cares for us. His thoughts are not my thoughts, and his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts, and his ways are above my ways. And his ways are absolutely perfect. And I am so thankful I can say it's well with my soul, because he cares for me. It doesn't make any difference what you have to go through if you'll just remember that God cares for me. When you haven't got a handle, you can't get a handle on your child when he's sick or she's sick. You can't do anything about it. I want to tell you something. You'd tear your insides out if you couldn't say, I commit this, into this thing to the Lord. Lord, you're in charge. It's your problem. However you can be glorified in this situation, I'll thank you ahead of time for it. Would I like to have seen a wonderful, marvelous miracle? Of course. But that's my thought. God's way is better. Are you saying that that mistake that was made in the hospital was God? All things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Jeffrey was probably relieved of some horrible agony for months or maybe a couple more years. And the Lord must have known that. But thank God I don't look at what he lost, I, or what we lost, I look at what he gained. And know that in the midst of that, God cares for us. If you never learn anything else, learn that God cares for you. And if we really believe this, when the trials and tests come, we don't have to be fretful. We don't have to worry. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to be full of fear and despair. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And when we do allow fear and doubt and unbelief come in, that uh, and ingratitude for the things that happen in our life, uh, it becomes a denial of the fact that he cares for us. If something happens to you and me and we get angry, all of a sudden we're denying what God has said is true, that he cares for us. If we begin to worry about our circumstances around us, we're denying that he cares for us. And again, I use the example. If your child came to you and said, I went down the street and asked my neighbor for a meal because I didn't know that you were going to have supper tonight, you'd be angry. You'd say, what are you talking about? We've had supper here every night, your whole life. Well, I know, but I just this time I wasn't sure we would or not. You'd get angry. And how many times do God's children when things don't work out the way they think it should, they begin to get worried or angry or act in, with ingratitude toward God and actually denying what God says that that was that he cares for us. And God is all-knowing. God knows your every weakness. He knows your every strength. There's no surprises as far as God is concerned. That's why in Psalm 37.3 he says, and you can write these verses down if you'd like to look at them later because I don't want to carry this on too long, but I have just several verses here. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Trust in the Lord and do good, and verily thou shalt be fed. 1 Samuel 2.9 says, He will keep the feet of his saints. 1 Samuel 2.9 2 Chronicles 16.9 I've got to turn to that one because I didn't write it all down. Second Chronicles 16.9 Wonderful verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth 
thou shalt have war. But he says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro upon the face of the earth, seeking how he can bless his children, those that love him. Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow thee all the days of thy life, and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow thee all the days of my life. Some of you that weren't here when I preached on that chapter, I'll just remind you that David was a, was a shepherd boy, and he remembered that when he was a shepherd, he had two dogs that always followed. He, he led the sheep, and the dogs would go along behind to make sure that a wolf or, a, or a, some other animal didn't come out and attack the sheep from the back. And so he just named those two dogs back there, goodness and mercy. He said, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You don't have to look around behind you when you're walking with the Lord. You don't have to keep looking back because God's got goodness and mercy back there making sure you don't get attacked from the, the backside. And yet that's why you keep your eyes on the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look back. Put your trust in the Lord. And then Psalm 33, 18. Psalm 33, 18. Didn't get that one written down completely either. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Can't get much better than that, can you? He says he'll even keep us in the famine. Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. How many? All their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart or a shattered heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit or a bruised spirit. Many, many, now this is for those faith claimers, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them will be broken. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. None of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Psalm 37, beginning with verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall or stumble, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David said, I've been young and now am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He's ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and keep his way, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a bay tree, green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. And then Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, 22. Casting thy burden upon the Lord. Excuse me. 
Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Never suffer the righteous to be moved. Casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Now, how many of you know that that you there means the person sitting next to you? Not you. Couldn't be me. God must care for them. You have no idea how many people will sit in church after you speak for an hour saying, God cares for you. God cares for you. Yeah, I know he cares for that, but that person, that person. No, it didn't say that. It said, God cares for you. Until you can get that down in your spirit, the devil's going to just whoop you every way he wants to. Because you'll know when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. When you're in school and you think you're getting mistreated, God cares for you. When the studies seem too heavy, God cares for you. Cast your burden on the Lord. Ask Him to help you. And when it seems like the situation in your home is absolutely impossible, God cares for you. God's trying to do something in your life, trying to take rub off the rough edges and, and, and develop character in you. Someone said years ago, and I've never forgotten it, that God only allows his choice servants to go into the, into the furnace heated seven times hotter. Only his best servants go there. Ever think of that? Only Daniel went in the lion's den. Only your shack, my shack, and the bungalow went into the fiery furnace. The ones that really wouldn't compromise, really stood for the Lord. Only Joseph was cast into prison. Only Peter was crucified upside down. Only Stephen was stoned. Choice of servants. Oh, God, this looks and no, God cares for us. The difference does it make what men do to us? Cast your care on the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. Totally. Where I work, how where I go to school, who my friends are, I'm going to do them all consistent with the word, and I'm going to believe you're going to take care of them. Amen? How many of you believe you really cares for you tonight? Do you believe that? Amen? Anybody say, oh, me? Father, we would not call you a liar because ever, let every man be a liar, the Bible says, but let God be true. And I pray that every person here tonight will realize, first of all, because the Bible tells us that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth into him should not perish, should have everlasting life. To be born into the family of God and then to have Jesus tell us that he'll never go off and leave us as orphans. But he would send the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever you said unto us. And I pray, Father, tonight we'll understand the importance of walking in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that we'll be able to cast our care upon you and operate by biblical principles and expect, expect the best to come into our lives. Expect everything that happens to us is going to bring honor and glory to you because we know that all things everything, the hard things, the, tri the times of tribulation and stress, all these things are working together for good, and we're not going to get exasperated. We're going to exalt you, casting all our care upon you because you care for us, Lord. I thank you for this truth. In Jesus' precious and holy name, I pray that no one will go away here from here tonight for what they'll be able to say in their own heart, God cares for me. Will you say that tonight out loud? God cares for me. Say it again. God cares for me. God really cares for me. Say it. God really cares for me. Right where I am right now. 
right where I am right now. And I thank Him. And I believe it. Thank you, Father, for your provision for us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Five steps for progressive prayer. So I have a title. Point number one. Whatever we pray for should deeply interest and concern us. Point number two. Whatever we pray about, we must feel totally unable to accomplish it by ourselves. Point three. Whatever we pray about, we must believe that God is interested and concerned about it because He's, it, it interests and concerns us. We must believe that God's interested also. Now we're going to move on to point four. Whatever we pray about, we must feel that God is able. What happened now? Point four. Whatever we pray about, we must feel that God is able to do all that we ask of him. God is able to do all that we ask of him. We must believe that. Whatever we pray about, we must feel that God is able to do all that we ask of him. I just want us to cover some verses on this very thing. You know, it, it, we'll know the truth, and the truth will make us free, and his word is truth. So if we'll get the word down in our heart, we can operate not out of feelings, but we can operate based upon the word of God. Father, I come to you because your word says thus and such. And you know when you hold up the word of God to, to God the Father, uh, he has to honor it because he said he will honor his word. If we'll fulfill his requirements, he's duty-bound to fulfill his promises. Turn, if you will, first of all to Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. And again, the title of this point is Whatever we pray about, we must feel that God is able to do all that we ask of him. Ezekiel 12 and verse 25. God is speaking. He said, For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I speak shall what? Ezekiel 12, 25. The word that I speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, saith the Lord God. So when you find something in God's word that he has promised, he says, I will fulfill that word. So you have to begin to search the scriptures to find if God has a promise for us concerning something that's, that's a burden on our heart. So he says, you can find my word. If I've said it, you can stand on it. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. When we receive a word from the Lord, if God tells you he's going to do something and you know it's God that's telling you he's going to do something, you can put that money in the bank. It's going to happen. Because he said, I said it. I'll speak the word, and, and that I, excuse me, and the word that I will speak, shall speak, shall come to pass. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. First of all, verse 17. One that we have read before. Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Again, whatever we pray about, we must feel that God is able to do all that we ask of him. 
We believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Verse 27 of the same chapter. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And we sing, nothing is too difficult for God. Now, it's one thing to sing it and to say it, but it's another thing to believe. That with God, all things are possible. Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 26. Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. I don't want to get over in, in somewhere there's error in this area where people are saying you confess it and you I mean, blab it and grab it. I mean, this is not what it's saying here. It's saying when you see a truth in the Word, God gives you a rhema, speaks a truth to you, and you know in your heart that it's God that said it to you, then you can know that it's going to happen, even if it seems impossible. Abraham, even though he said his own body was dead and Sarah's womb was dead, believed God. God gave him a rhema. And God performed an absolute miracle. Why? Because he would received a rhema. And God, I mean, Abraham so stood on that rhema that later on when his son was going to be killed, it says in the book of Hebrews, he, he knew that God was going to do one of two things if he had to go, go through killing Isaac. He'd either raise him from the dead or he'd give him another son. Well, that's faith. Why? Because he'd received a rhema. And he knew nothing was impossible with God. James, the first chapter. James, chapter 1. We've got to feel that God is able to do all that we ask of him. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So let not that man, the one that wavers, think that he shall receive, what's that next word? Anything from the Lord. Boy, that's, that's powerful. He didn't even say you're going to get a little bit. He said if you hear from God and you don't really believe it and stand on it, you'll not get a thing from him because they that seek God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've really got to believe that God means it when he says he will hear and answer prayer. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A two-faced man, a schizophrenic man, a man who says, yes, God loves me, but yes, but God probably won't do this for me. Yes, God hears and answers prayer, but he probably won't do it in this situation. He says, you don't get anything in there. Mark it down. You'll get nothing. Ephesians 3.20. Paul the Apostle has been exhorting the Christians to holy living. In verse 20, he gives this salutation. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power or the dunamis that worketh in us or operates in us. Now unto him that is able to do not just everything, but exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. 
So he's saying here, not only do we should we believe that God can do what we ask him for, but we must literally believe that God can go way beyond anything we could possibly ask him for. How many of you know if you need a hundred dollars and you believe God could send a billion dollars to you tomorrow, it wouldn't be hard to believe him for a hundred dollars. And we have to come to that place where we begin to set our mindset is I am not even ruffling God's hair when I ask for this. He's sitting there saying, I'm waiting to bless you and I'm waiting to provide for you if you will believe me for it. And if you just ask for this but know that he's even greater than that, it's not nearly as difficult as to say, God, I don't know where you'll ever scrape it up, but I really need a hundred dollars. Somebody wrote a book years ago, and your God is too small. And sometimes we need to just stand back and begin to recognize who we're worshiping. The God of all creation. The God of all eternity. The omniscient God who says, is there anything, do you think of anything that's too hard for me? Just sit down and think for a while. What's too hard for me? If I flung all these galaxies out into space, would it be hard, too hard for me to bring them all back into one ball again and make them up and just start all over again? Well, if I can do that, what's your problem? You and I have got to believe that he's able to do whatever we ask him. And not only do believe he can do that, but believe he's so powerful that this doesn't even interrupt his schedule. Hallelujah. Now don't get excited, whatever you do. I mean, calm down a little bit out there. I hate to see people jumping up and down and clapping their hands. We have to believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That has to become an operating thing in our lives. You know, there's, there's times when we see things that come into our lives and we think, oh boy, God, I can believe you for this, but that's, you know, all we're doing is operating on our sensory level instead of on God's potential level. Nothing's too hard for me, he says. Try me. Just try me. See, I really believe God is honored when we try him. Now, don't just go out and, you know, some people say, well, I'm just going to go out and believe God's a brand new Rolls Royce. Don't be stupid. First of all, you don't need it. Second, you'd probably get proud of it if you had it. And so that wouldn't be a blessing. You couldn't ask for that in the will of God. I think you remember I told my neighbor that one time when, he, when I got the new Cadillac given to me. I drove in the yard into his yard because Beverly had made up a, a, a cake for them and I, or some bread or something. And I pulled into the yard and he said, well, preacher, that's a nice looking car you got there. So I said, well, let me tell you how I got it. And I told him how God had provided it for me. And I went on into the door and gave the bread to his wife and came back out got in my car to leave and he waved me down out in the driveway right next to his Rolls Royce. He said, well, God gave you a Cadillac. He said, why didn't you give, he give you a Rolls Royce? This man is a multi-million dollar, a multi-millionaire and a secular humanist. And I don't know how the Lord got me to thinking so fast. I said, well, that's not hard to answer. I said, first of all, he knew I didn't need it. Secondly, he knew I'd probably get proud if I drove it. And thirdly, he knew that if he told you to give me one, you wouldn't have obeyed him anyway. And he said, oh, you get out of here. <laughs> so, we have to realize that uh, if God wanted us to have a Rolls Royce, he would, I, I'm sure that he could manufacture all of them that we needed. And I'm not talking about presumption and being able to consume it upon our own lust, but I'm talking about when we are trying to operate in the Spirit and operate and do the work of God, when a problem or a need comes up, rises up, we can say, God, you're so great, your ways are so far above my ways, I'm trusting you to show me how you're going to provide this. Show me a way. What can I do to cause this abundance to come in? 
for this need. And to the same degree that you give, it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God says you can get this thing moving by your own giving. And I'm not going to get over to that tonight. Let's get to the last point. I, I'm sure that those that come the next time and find out that I'm all through will think. Uh, the fifth point, whatever we seek God about, we must feel that he is accessible and open to receive us. You know that some people really feel that God is out there ready to stomp us in the ground. Whatever we seek God about, we must feel that he is accessible and 